Amen. Let us pray. Loving Father, thank you once again for this Sabbath day, this sanctuary of time. I pray that you would be with us as we study, as we open your word. Speak through me. May you be glorified, not I, but Christ. And may your angels dwell with us. May your Holy Spirit dwell with us so that we may understand. Help us to grow in Christ and to love you more. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Recently, we've been talking about teaching more. And we're told in the spirit of prophecy that uh, there's a lot of preaching, but we need more teaching. So by God's grace, we're going to study today, amen? And we are going to uh, do it in a different way. I, I hope my readers are ready. I have some texts, right, uh, that I, I have planned in the congregation. Uh, and hopefully we will be ready when that time comes to read those texts. And try to be aware of time also. So this study is entitled Glory in the Dust. Glory in the dust. Who's that? Martin Luther. A very powerful person. Uh, God used him in a special way to accelerate the Reformation. Amen? Amen. Uh, he posted, that's him posting a 95 thesis on the uh, doors of the church. And one of the key principles that he was teaching was what? So there was a few. Huh? The night. <laughs> well, what? What? Huh? Yes. The just shall live by faith. Uh, not only that, he he kind of coined the term sola scriptura, which means what? Bible only. Um, and there's a bunch of other solas, sola, uh, gratia, grace, I think, only. And, you know, he, he coined a very important, uh, or he had a very important place in history uh, and laid the foundation for, we, for what we know as the Advent movement. Um, if you look at history and how God was working in those times, he was leading his people out of Babylon, right? But he was building upon it, right? His idea was to build upon, build upon. So you had people like uh, Luther, Wes, Husley, all these different individuals. They were led by God, and they each had something new and different that they brought to the table that was based on the scriptures, Amen. right? At least to the best of their knowledge, because... As you study some of their writings, you realize that they didn't, they still held on to some of their Babylonian uh, or the teachings of the church, the Catholicism at that time. They still held on to it, some of the traditions of the church. Um, in short, when it comes to the Protestant churches and even the Catholic churches, the idea is that they don't just believe in the Bible only, right? Martin Luther started that. He started 
to shift the church, uh, the people in a new direction. But even himself wasn't fully Bible only. In fact, uh, the church during that time, they relied on Bible and tradition, Bible and philosophy. Many of the church fathers, if you ever looked into church history, Augustine, Aquinas, all these men who are quote-unquote church fathers, they incorporated some of philosophy into their uh, spiritual teachings. They incorporated some of uh, pagan theology into their teachings, and hence it led to Catholicism, and hence it still affected Protestantism. It wasn't until we came to the time of 1844 when we see the Advent movement that God was in a mighty way, in a powerful way, shifting on a grand level the understanding of the people to a more biblical basis. And who can tell me what teaching grounds us in the Bible fully, more than any other teaching in the Bible? I heard somebody say something. The sanctuary. Right, the sanctuary, the sanctuary service uh, and, and the teachings of the sanctuary is the key that unlocks our understanding to scripture. And it helps us to understand Bible and Bible only, essentially. All of our doctrines come from the sanctuary. When you look at every furniture in the sanctuary, you could see the doctrines and the teachings that we have as a church. Amen. Amen. And I, I want to try to keep it simple for us because... That's our goal. We want to teach, and we want to make it so that we can understand. Uh, even the simple of us can understand. But I just wanted to lay that foundation to let us know that the message that we are presenting or the hope that we have as a church, it is based on the Bible more than any other uh, denomination, uh, any other group. Uh, we are focused and truly Bible only. And with that comes great responsibility. And there are many pitfalls in that also. And so I want to talk about faith. And the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. What did Paul, what did Paul count as all loss? Let's see if we've been, my readers are paying attention. Uh, who has Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8? What did Paul count as all loss? Go ahead, read that for us, please. With a loud voice. Okay, so what did Paul count as all loss? Everything. Notice what it says here in verses 3, right? Or verses 4 and verses 5, it says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, in any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. In other words, if there's anyone that's going to trust in their own uh, power and their own strength and their own wisdom, it's me. Because I have so many qualifications. And what are his qualifications? It says, verse 5, circumcise the what? Eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Does that sound like he's very prideful? I'm the true of the true, 200% Israelite, right? And Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Right? No one could challenge me when it comes to the law. I keep the law. Right? Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. 
In other words, all the things that led to the exaltation of himself, he counted it all lost. His education, his heritage, where he's from, everything. He counted it all lost for Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Notice he says, the righteousness which is in the law. And before I even go there, again, you, you look at uh, Paul, he's a Hebrew, he's a Jew, and he basically, again, he's taken pride in his obedience to the commandments of God. And he's basically saying, because I do this, or this is what he believed at one point, because I have met all these uh, requirements or statutes, right? I am a righteous man. I am blameless before God. Now, what is the righteousness which is of the law? My readers, Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6. Let's read it. But if our unrighteousness be the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. Hold on. Philippians 3? You said 3, 5, and 6? Yeah. 3, <laughs> 5, and 6. Then there's another one that I, I want you to read. Philippians okay, 3, 3, verses 5, five and, and 6. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Okay, now let's read Romans chapter 2 now. Let's go to Romans uh, chapter 2 and verse 17 to 24. Romans chapter 2, verse 17 through 24. Mm -hmm. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and maketh thy boast of God. And knoweth his will, and approveth the things that are more excellent, being instructed of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Though therefore, thou therefore which teacheth another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest the man should not steal, doth thou steal? Thou that saith a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorreth idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that maketh thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonoreth thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Okay. So what is, what is the righteousness that is in the law that Paul is referring to here? What did the Jews think about themselves? They were inherently good. Go ahead, sorry. They were very proud. They could do no wrong. In other words, they felt that, again, they met up outwardly to the standards of the commandments, right? To the law, to the Torah. Outwardly, they look good. What Paul was saying, listen, though you may look outwardly good, what is going on inside of your heart? Right? You, you, you instruct people to keep the law. You instruct people to, to not steal and not lie. But do you lie? Do you commit adultery? Do you murder? Right? So Paul is letting us know that the righteousness that is in the law is futile. Right? Within this context, he's letting us know the righteousness within the law. You know, the way Paul writes sometimes, it, it, it could be a little confusing. And this is one of the reasons why I want to go over come out of this having a better understanding of what it means to have faith in Christ and, and the balance of the law because it could be a little confusing at, at times. One of the 
one minute he's saying something here and it looks like he's contradicting it in another statement. But again, if you pay attention, he's, he's creating a, a, a beautiful picture. And that beautiful picture is those who claimed at that time to be Jews, they thought of themselves in, a, in an exalted position because of their status, because of their connection or their affiliation with God. But yet they were being hypocrites and not following the true teachings of Christ. And essentially, Paul is going to break down and he's making clear that it is impossible. It is impossible for them, through keeping the law, to be righteous before God. And that, that is essentially what he is stating. What are some of the pitfalls of righteousness by the law. Notice, I said righteousness by the law. There are those who are thinking that they could achieve righteousness by law keeping, right? And when I'm, when I'm talking about the law, I'm not just talking about the ceremonial law. I'm talking about the, even the Ten Commandments law, the whole law, all right? Let's read who had Romans chapter 9, and verse 31. Who's my reader here? Romans chapter 9 and verse 31. Romans 9 and verse 31 says, mm-hmm. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Okay. Did you get that? No. <laughs> okay. okay, you can read again. That's a. <laughs> Romans chapter 9 and verse 31. Uh-huh. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, mm-hmm. hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Okay. So thank you for that, Sister Denova. I had a, a pre-planned reader. I don't know where you are. You're not paying attention. You should be paying attention. But Sister Denova is here, so if you're not quick enough, you gotta, you got to move quick. She's going to read it. All right? Um, Romans... Chapter 9, verse 31, it says, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained unto the law of righteousness. In other words, they claimed that they were keeping the law and the commandments, but before God, they weren't attaining righteousness. Right? Their their efforts were futile. Futile efforts in keeping the commandments of God. It was vain, vanity. Romans 10, verse 5. Romans 10, oh, for the mic, yeah, go ahead, when you get the mic. Romans 10, verse 5, mm-hmm. for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Okay, another pitfall. Again, the first pitfall, you, if, you, if you're going to attain righteousness by, by law, you will never attain to righteousness, Right? Second pitfall, it says in verse 5, that if you are going to do righteousness by the law, then you are going to have to keep every single precept of that law. Right? Uh, Again, let's read Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. Galatians chapter 3. Go ahead. Read that, sister. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Okay, so again, you must continue in all things or else you're condemned. Right? So you must adhere to every little precept, one jot, one time, every little thing. You have to adhere to or else you'll be cursed, right? You must be perfect. Is it possible for us? (laughs) You're getting ahead of me, sister. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But is it possible of our own to attain that righteousness? Let me read this quote here. This is 
SC. I'm not sure, SC. But if you want the reference, I, I could, uh, Steps of Christ? Can you Steps of Christ? No, this, no, this is not Steps of Christ. This is, uh, we'll, we'll figure out later. S, S, S as in Sarah. <laughs> All right, let's read, let's read this. It says, it was possible for Adam before the fall to form a righteous character by obedience to God's law. Did you hear that? It, let me read it again. It was possible for Adam before the fall to form a righteous character by obedience to God's law. Before sin, it was possible for Adam before the fall to form a righteous character. Character. In other words, when God created Adam and Eve, they had the power within themselves to keep God's law. Before sin. But he failed to do this. And because of his sin, our natures are fallen and we cannot make ourselves righteous. We cannot make ourselves righteous. Since we are sinful, unholy, we cannot perfectly obey the holy law. We have no righteousness of our own with which to meet the claims of the law of God. But Christ has made a way of escape for us. Do you see what, what, what is being said here? Ad, Adam, before the fall, could have formed a righteous character by his obedience to the law. Because of the fall, now any efforts of, by you and I to try to keep the law is futile. It's in vain. We cannot meet it. We will fail every single time on our own. Because our natures are fallen. Right? And we, it's like you're in quicksand. You're sinking. Can you get yourself out of quicksand? Can you take yourself out? No matter how strong you think you are, it is uh, not humanly possible for you to get out of quicksand. You need someone to throw a rope, throw a stick, or something for you to hold on and pull you out. And the more you try, the worse it gets. The more you try, the worse it gets perfectly. This was the problem of the Jews. This is what Paul was trying to, to, to communicate to the Jews. And uh, again, sometimes when we read it, it gets taken out of context and, and uh, brings confusion a lot of times. But simply put, Paul was saying, listen, you guys are attempting a futile thing. You are attempting the impossibility. You're trying to keep the law in your own strength, not realizing that Jesus was the one who came to give you that power to keep the law, and you're rejecting Jesus? Even though they had the sanctuary. They did not understand the types and the symbols. They did not have the faith that was necessary to overcome. In our own strength, we cannot keep the law. Righteousness by law is futile. You will fail every single time. What kind of righteousness do we need? <laughs> Philippians 3. My reader, you got to move quick. Philippians 3. <laughs> okay, she's, <laughs> she's ready. Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Amen. Amen. So what kind of righteousness, righteousness do we need? Righteousness by faith in Christ. Amen. Right? Not which is by law, but which is by faith. Faith and faith only. So what is faith? My reader. 
Huh? That's you? Yeah, you got, <laughs> he's quick. I have Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, verse 1, great heroes of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Interesting. I looked up that word substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I didn't write, uh, show the screen up here, but uh, it's, it's interesting. It's actually two words. And the two words are stand, or the first word is under, and stand. Right? Under, that word substance, in the original language in the Greek, it means there's, it's a combination of two words, under and stand, right? Under and stand. That's what substance mean, means. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, I'm trying to break this down so that I could understand, hopefully we could understand it better. What stands under a table? Legs, right? What stands under a chair? My mouse is not working. Legs of the chair, okay? What stands under a house? Foundation. Foundation. Now, if you sit in a chair, it must be able to hold your weight. Right? If you sit in a chair, it must be hold, able to hold your weight or else you'll fall. Right? And that will hurt. <laughs> so what would you call that? If, you're, if, if you are sitting in that chair and it's holding your weight, how, how would you look toward, how do you feel towards that chair? What would you think towards that chair? You trust. You trust the chair, okay? You must trust your chair. Now, what stands under your faith? The word, right? We, we sing that song, right? Build your house on the rock. Right, a wise man built his house on, on the rock. So your faith st stands on the word of God. In other words, you are trusting in the word of God. So if we, what must we understand and trust in order to have faith? We must understand and trust in the word of God. Simply faith is trusting in the word of God, brothers and sisters, right? Are you with me? Faith is trusting in the word of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the evidence of things that we don't see, and the things that we hope for are the promises in the word, right? When we believe in it when we trust in it it's just as good as if we had it right in front of us we could take it to the bank right <laughs> the spiritual bank <laughs> right foundations of our faith jesus the word of god is the foundation of our faith faith is faith is simply trusting in god it's all about a relationship with god do you trust him this was the problem with the children of Israel. They said, all that you say we will do, Moses, you go talk to him. And God was like, I want a relationship with you. But you're, you're just saying, you, you guys remember that, right? Mo, God, uh, Moses was 
telling God, you know, he came down in a magnificent way and they were shaken to their bones, it says. And Moses said, you know, don't be afraid, man. He's just coming to, you know, to test you. Moses had that relationship with God. And he was trying to bring them into that relationship with God, but they said no. And what did they say? All that you said, we will do. So what they were trying to do? Were they trying to do an impossibility? They were trying to keep the commandments in their own strength. And all that God said they thought that they could do without that relationship with him. It was an impossibility. And this is what God was trying to tell them. And this is what God is trying to tell you and I. Especially those of us who are upholding or claim the name of Seventh-day Adventists. Right? Uh, what does God do for those who trust him? Let's go to Romans. Who has Romans 5 and verse 1? Who's, who's paying attention? I have my readers who are ready, are ready to, you know, Romans 5 verse 1. Who has that? What does God do for those who trust him? Therefore, being justified by faith, mm -hmm. we have peace with God through faith, through our relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. Okay, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, whoever trusts in God, God promises that he will justify you. He will make you righteous. Now, just going off on a, a little tangent, how do you learn to trust someone? Let's make it practical. Huh? Get to know them. How do you get to know them? Spending time with them. All right, you go out places. You have conversations. You talk. You walk with them. Right? You t tell them, you know, secret things, intimate things, whatever. You know, you build that relationship. So who does God say? What, what does he say that he's going to do to those who builds that relationship with him. It says, therefore, you are going to be justified by faith. And you are going to have peace with God. In other words, you are going to be made righteous before God. Now, what does it mean to be justified? Kind of gave it away. But let's go to Romans 2. In verse 13, see if that helps us. Who has that? Go ahead, brother. He's ready. <laughs> All right, uh, Romans 2, verse 13 reads, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Okay. <laughs> All right, this is, this is one of the texts I said, you know, didn't Paul just say you can't keep the law? But now he's saying the doers of the law? You got to understand what he's trying to say. Like, he's being practical. Listen, you, you're going to have to keep the commandments, right? But you just can't keep the commandments in your own strength, right? Um, but again, the doers of the law, what does it mean to be justified? It means to do good, to do righteousness, or to be declared righteous. Now, what's an example of justification? Now, justification is being declared righteous, meaning you may not have been transformed. I have to be careful how I say this, and you're, you're going to understand what, I, what I'm trying to say as I get through the different scriptures here. But justification, there's two, there's two things, justification and sanctification. And these things happen simultaneously, okay? But I'm going to describe it like they're happening at different times. But they happen at the same time. But just to make us understand it, justification is simply you are being declared righteous. You're, you, are be, you are being declared righteous. So you may have not done any special good work, 
but God has covered you with the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. You are being declared righteous. Now, let's go to <clears throat> Thief on the Cross, Luke chapter 23, and verses 39 to 43. I don't know if I gave anyone that text. I don't think I did. Um, Luke chapter 23. I'll read that one. And let's look at the thief on the cross. Luke chapter 23 and verses 39 to 43. <laughs> you found it? I'm going to read this one, okay? Thank you. It says, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly for we receive due reward for our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Verily, verily, I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. in paradise. Commas aren't inspired. Verily I say unto thee, today you will be with me in paradise. The, the, the story of the thief, the thieves on the cross, or the thief on the cross, it's, it's kind of a, a picture of the world. Right? Here you have two sides, two people. One person... He's seeking to be justified or made righteous by his own works. And there you have another who's saying, Lord, help me. Save me. Right? Uh, the, the, the malefactor, the, 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 the bad thief, <laughs> the one who really didn't <laughs> accept Jesus, what did he say? If thou be Christ... Save thyself and us. So he was trying to be saved. But he had a condition. Was that by faith? No. He said, if thou be Christ, save us. Two people, two classes of people, they want to be saved. But yet, one is seeking to do it by their own works, selfishness, what pride, whatever. But here you have someone, at, someone else who says, fear, he's, who says, Lord, remember me. Lord, he humbled himself. Lord, you are my savior. You are my king. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now, the question I have for you, what did he do in order to be saved? Did he do any good works? He repented. Okay. That's good. He recognized that he was a sinner. He had faith in Jesus, which is what? Trust, right? He had trust in Jesus. He humbled himself. But is there anything that he did physically or anything to gain that salvation? He asked for it. Granted, he repented, and repentance is, is, is it's a work, right? Because, you know, you're... You have to look at what you did and, you know, recognize your faults and your sins and you have to confess it. But in other words, there was nothing that he did of his own, of his own self. There is no righteous deed that he could have done in order for him to merit the salvation of Jesus. It was right there on the cross. He couldn't do anything. He was right there with Jesus. He couldn't go and preach and teach and do all these wonderful things. He he was just there in his sinful position as a thief on the cross and he was justified or he was promised salvation because of his faith. Right? So what did he do in order to be saved? He didn't do anything. 
just believed. He just had trust in Jesus. Right? But now, let's say, let's say, who was it? Pilate said, you know what? Thief on the cross? Hypothetically. You know what? Yeah. We're going to annul your sentence. You're going to be free. Put some bandages on you. Take you off the cross and, you know, let you go on and go, go about your way. Now, is that thief going to continue in his faith? Are there going to be works that he would need to do in his Christian walk? Right? If he, if he were to continue uh, without being on the cross, you know, continue his life, he would have to continue in good works. Right? But the, the works that he would the, the works that he would have to continue in would have to be based on his trust Amen. in Jesus and that righteousness that comes from Christ. So in other words, when we're talking about salvation, when we're talking about justification, we're talking about being declared righteous. But once you're declared righteous, you need to be transformed. Amen. And it happens at the same time, basically. The moment you are justified, in other words, when, when he was justified on the cross, it, it, it was as if Jesus was saying, listen, the life that you're living is covered, right? You are covered under the blood of Jesus, and you're going to be with me. And the promise or the hope is that if he were to live, he would continue in that faith. Now, you and I don't have the option to just die right now. We have to live once we accept Christ, we have to live a life in humble obedience to Christ. And that's what we call sanctification. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21. And see, my time is fleeing, so... Let me quickly get through this. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21. Do you have it? If you have it, you could read for us. Go ahead. If a man therefore... Thank you. Second mm -hmm. Timothy 2 verse 21. Mm -hmm. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Okay. So here, justification being declared righteous, sanctification being transformed and being made righteous. Amen. We need to be made righteous in order to be able to fit in heaven. If we were to go to heaven without being made righteous, we'll be jealous and coveting uh, the the good in the goods in heaven, right? We we'll, we will we will feel uh, rebuked by the goodness. And the love that's being shown, selfishness would, would rise in our hearts and we'll be jealous. Right? This is why we have to be made righteous in order to be able to fit into heaven. Now, huh? to have peace with God. Amen. It will be torture. It will, it would be torture. And this is why we have to be made, we have to be sanctified, we have to be transformed, and we have to do good works, but only through the merits of Jesus, only through the faith, faith of Jesus Christ. Another example, let's go to the children of Israel, Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. When the children, of, the children of Israel, were they saved by their good works? What did they do in order to be saved? Speak to me. They followed the law? Did they? To be saved. Now, pay attention. What did the children of Israel do in order to be saved? In particular, we're talking about Egypt. When they were delivered from Egypt, what did they have to do in order to be saved from Egypt? Okay. Okay. So, in other words... It was based off of their faith, 
right? And not off of their good works. Notice, it says, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. It says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am God. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, not through your own strength, not through your own power. Therefore, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any grand. And he goes on into all the, the, the commandments, right? Their good works did not merit them salvation. It was only through the mercy of God. Now, after being saved from Egypt, did they make it to the promised land if they refused to obey? So even though you may be justified, in order for you to maintain and be in that loving relationship with God, you must have good works. There's a balance, brothers and sisters. Through faith, Christ comes within us, and he strengthens us, and he enables us to do good works. And he enables us to form a righteous character. Because again, it was because of their lack of faith, their lack of obedience to God, why they did not find any entrance in to the promised land. And it is for us today. So what is justification by faith? This is Testimonies to Minister uh, Page 456, it says, what is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. You and I, by keeping the commandments, cannot attain righteousness. You and I, by claiming to be Seventh-day Adventists and following the law, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the health laws, keeping all these different things, in itself, we cannot earn salvation. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. It doesn't matter how present truth we think we are. You claim to be present truth, but do you love your brother? Do you kill your brother with your words? Do you murder in your heart your brother? How's your anger? You are present truth. Amen. Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the stock of Adventism. First, second, third, fourth generation, grandmother, grand, great, great Adventists. No but yet, are you loving to your brothers and your sisters? Amen. It doesn't matter how how much outward appearance we may have to look or appear as righteousness, it has to go deep in our hearts. You see, through keeping the law, we may appear righteous. It's possible to, to make a change. It's possible to be more refined and not be the type of person that go to the clubs, go to the parties, and, you know, do all those things that we call sin, you know, not commit adultery, it's possible. But you're doing it not because you have a relationship with Christ, not because you are dependent upon Jesus, but because of your selfishness. And this is what Christ came to deal, do away with, is the selfishness, that one principle that the Jews did not want to let down or, or put away, is that selfishness within their hearts. Christ came to uproot that and take that out, brothers and sisters. And this is why we need to understand this whole concept of righteousness by faith. This is why we need to study this more and really examine our hearts. The Bible says, search me, O God, and see if there is any wicked way in me. I don't care how righteous you may be, what position on the church, on the board, whatever. If you are a great preacher, if you're a great teacher, you travel the world, whatever. 
It doesn't matter. Paul says he counted it as all done. If, if Paul was here, he would have been like, listen, I was of the stock of Adventism. I would go out and I would rebuke every single person that did something wrong. Right? I would go to every Sunday worshiper and I would, every opportunity I get, I would tell them about the Sabbath and break them down and da 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 da. I was a very elite Adventist. That's what Paul would have said. Yeah, before his conversion. But then he said, he counted that all as dung. So do you count? All your righteousness as trash. All your abilities to do good in and of yourself as that essentially that's what he said. He counted it all as dung. There's another word for it. <laughs> I would rather say trash. <laughs> counted it all as trash. Let's go to Luke 18. And I'm gonna close with this. Luke chapter 18. And we're going to read verses 10 to 14. Or someone wants to read it, you can read it. Go ahead, my sister. Luke chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. Luke, Luke chapter 18, mm -hmm. verses 10 through 14. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Hmm. I think you're getting the point. Pride, selfishness, in his own self, in his own works, in his own righteousness, he felt as if he attained, he arrived. And, and what did I tell you before about what was an impossibility? Can't be perfect, can't be right? He, in his own strength, he can't do that. So he was relying on his own strength, his own abilities. No substance. Yes. No foundation, no faith. Amen. So this man who humbled himself, and he could even look to heaven, he said, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. God found compassion in his heart for him. Where are you today? Are you the boastful man? Christian of the Christian, top of the top? Or are you that man who is saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? 
It doesn't matter where you are. The Lord can transform your heart. But you must acknowledge where you are. If you're filled with pride and selfishness, tell the Lord. Lord, my heart is messed up. I, you know, if you, if you see it today, tell the Lord. And if you are more of the type where you, you promise, you see that your promises are ropes of sand, you see that you're weak, you see that you're failing in every different area of your life, tell the Lord. He has compassion. And if you humble yourself before him, he promises that he will give you strength. He will work within you to will and to do his good pleasure. It doesn't matter how deep you are in sin. It doesn't matter how far you go in, brothers and sisters. He will take you out of that quicksand. And he will give you victory and power through the precious blood of Jesus. This is the hope that we have. And I pray all of us would, would really pray that prayer to the Lord. Search me, O oh God. See if there's any wicked way in me. And allow Jesus to transform us, to exercise that faith and have that uh, relationship with the Lord that leads to transformation. Right? It's all about that relationship and that trust. Let us trust in God. And not try to do it in our own strength, in our faith. I, I have an appeal, and it's for, for all of us. If it's your desire to ex have this experience of justification by faith and laying your glory, your power, your might, your brightness, if you want to lay that in the dust, through Jesus, I ask you to please stand with me and pray with me. If you could bow your heads in prayer. I always like to make an appeal for those who may have not accepted Jesus as yet. If you see that you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, that he has worked within your heart, and you want to dedicate your life to him and you may not have dedicated your life to him before but you want to begin that process our heads are bowed our eyes are closed just raise your hand if you haven't already dedicated your life to Jesus and you want to and you want to begin that process please pray amen amen my sister just raise your hand if there's anyone else if you want to dedicate your life to the Lord and choose Jesus today if you haven't already. Amen, my sister. Even the young ones. Jesus sees our hearts. And he wants the young children. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Is there anyone else? You want to pray? <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to pray. Just dedicate your heart. You want to begin the process of dedicating your heart to Jesus. And laying glory in the dust. And accepting by faith Jesus Christ. If there's anyone else, just raise your hand. If not, let us pray and let us all, those of us who are experienced in this faith, let us pray for these individuals and let us pray for ourselves that the Lord will give us this experience. Let us pray. Loving Father, thank you so much for this wonderful Sabbath day. Thank you for this time where we can open up your word. Lord, we learn that we need to lay our glory in the dust in order to be righteous. It's not about what we can do, the, the might and the power that we have. It's all in vain to you because we are stuck. We are in a stuck position. We are sinking. And we need help in order to get out of that miry clay, that bottomless pit. And we look to you. We don't look to ourselves. We don't look uh, to by the works of the law to uh, accomplish that righteousness, Lord, by our doing of goodness. We don't look to that, Lord. We look to Jesus.
And Lord, we ask that Jesus will cover us, Lord, and enable us through his power, through his strength, through, through our trust in him to be transformed and to be able to live a life in honor and glory and do good works and keep his law through the power of Jesus. Help us, Lord. We pray for those who uh, raised their hand and they said that they, they want to begin this journey with you. They want to commit their lives to you. And they want to begin that journey through faith, that faith journey, and experience that justification and sanctification. We have young and old. I pray that you would work upon their hearts and that you would convict them and that you would teach them and help us to, to love and nurture them. So again, bless us as we depart. We thank you, Lord, and we ask you all these things only in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.